0: Well, we are going to start enough just a 4 week series today and we're calling the series um healthy families as you see there on the screen healthy families and and uh, we're going to look at uh today we're looking at raising great kids next week we're going to talking about uh relationships marriage and relationships we're going to talk about living in the tension of your you know your sort of work and life balance and how do you manage all those things we're going to talk about uh, our generations together so we're going to be in those things. And uh, I'm looking forward to working through some of these uh, passages with you. And, you know, it's just really maybe informed by uh, Psalm 127 verse 1 that says, unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. And we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. But I just want you to be kind of thinking of that. I want to go down that track today of this sort of building metaphor, this household metaphor. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Today we're talking about raising great kids. Someone in, uh, in our connection group this week said, well, what do you mean by great kids? What? Well, I, I was thinking about that. I think great kids are, are, are you know children, young people, and adults who add value to society, who add value to the culture. So I'm not talking about kids who necessarily get the straight A's or who get the scholarships or that, you know, who excel in some way, as wonderful as those things are. I'm not going to talk to you today about parenting techniques. I'm just barely figuring this out. I've been at it for twenty almost twenty-two years. I feel like I'm just figuring it out. Should have had three or four more um, to practice on. And let me you know what that's all about. And um, so I'm not gonna talk about that. There's great books and material available to you. I would recommend, um, when we do parenting classes here, you take advantage of that. We've got some curriculum. Maybe your connection group wants to, to do one of those curriculum studies at home. We would endorse that very much. Um, so those things that are all available to you. What we want to talk about is kind of the sort of the principles behind this. And we're going to run with this building metaphor just a little bit because your life is a house. Jesus talks about that. We just read that from Psalm 127. Your, your, your household is a house that you build. And everyone's is going to look a little differently. How you decorate your house, the the style, the format, the roofline, all those things is meant to be unique. But every properly built house starts with a foundation. Now, here in in California, um, you know, I've watched how they, they build our house, and it's built on a slab with kind of the foundation sort of built in. Where I grew up, it's done a little differently. In a lot of parts of our country, they would do this. Where... You dig down, you pour footings, concrete footings. Then you build concrete walls. You're going to be anywhere from three to six feet tall. And uh, then you around that you put drain rock and then you put drain, uh, what's called drain tile or drain pipes around them, more drain rock around. Then you backfill with wood. So below what you even see on the house, you've got three to six feet of concrete foundations that go down into the ground. And it's necessary uh, for places that, you know, have climate issues or, you know, different kinds of terrain. Here, it's not really necessary to build that way. But regardless, of that foundation is essential for that house to stand firm. And um, so that's the first kind of thing we're going to get to. And and to do that, I want to take you way, way back in history, three and, three and some, three and a half thousand years or so, back to a guy named Joshua. Now, Joshua was... Um, if you know an old song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, he's the guy that led the Israelite people uh, from their kind of wilderness experience into what was called the promised land, the land that God had prepared for them, uh, what would be you know, essentially Israel today. And Joshua um, had been mentored by Moses for decades, he'd, he'd been there all thick and thin with Moses as they led the people out of, out of Egypt through the wilderness and up to the point of the promised land. Joshua is the guy that got them in there. Joshua was a good military strategist. He was a, a strong leader, and in the book of Joshua, it sort of unpacks all that process. And in the final chapter, Joshua just sort of lays it all out for them. Kind of explains, okay, we got you from there to here. You're about to go in. You're about to settle. This is this is your land now, and you get to choose. And what's happening is is he's saying you've got this chance for a fresh start. So look on the screen with me as I read from Joshua chapter twenty four, verses fourteen. And 15 he's giving in a speech he says this so fear the lord and serve him wholeheartedly put away forever the idols your ancestors worshiped when they live beyond the euphrates river and in egypt serve the lord alone but if you refuse to serve the lord then choose today whom you will serve will you prefer the gods your ancestors serve beyond the euphrates or will it be the gods of the amorites in whose land you now live but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. What's happening there is that Joshua is laying that concept of a foundation. And, 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 and he, if you want your house to stay in, you need a good foundation. So if you're taking notes today, you could write this down. That you want to establish a foundation worth building on. Establish a foundation worth building on. That's what Joshua is talking about there. You see, the Israelites had had... Witnessed God doing all kinds of, you know, amazing miracles. I, you know, God had provided for them. He'd protected them. He'd led them. You know, but now the question remained: Is would they, in fact, faithfully worship God? Would they? Would they? Would they stay with the Lord? See, because was back then, and and I would say it's in our own way, kind of similar today. Is they had people had a habit of sort of collecting gods and idols and worldviews and ways of worship as they went around. The, the understanding was, or their belief was, well, different idols or gods, idols would represent sort of God-type concepts. And they would think, well, this God has jurisdiction over this area, and this God has jurisdiction over this, and this God is the God of the hills, and this God is the God of the valleys, and this God is the God of crops, and this God is the God of weather. And so they think, just to cover all our bases, to make sure we kind of just... You know hedge our bets we 're just going to worship them all. just take them all in and so that so that everything will kind of work out. hopefully. that was kind of their belief and I, some of that had apparently happened with these people over the centuries, and um, then you have God coming along, and God reveals himself as the one true God, the one and only God, the God who created all things right the, the, the Lord of heaven and earth, the, the Lord of all that heaven and earth contains. And, and there's no need to worship idols or false gods because, well, there is only one God and there's only one to worship and, and God has jurisdiction over all these things that we've talked about. So Joshua's kind of foundational challenge is to say, look, you guys have to make a choice. You can't have it all. You can't, you can't worship all these gods and worship the Lord God. You have to choose today. So go for it. Take your chances with all these other gods or worship the Lord, but as for me and my house, We're serving the Lord. This is the foundation for our life. This is where we're building. We're building on this. Our confident worship of God. It's for me, my family, we will serve the Lord. Now, it's not that if you say Jesus is is the Lord and Savior in our life, in our household, it's not that you can't enjoy other things, right? It's not like, oh, we only ever talk about Jesus. No, there's... Entertainment, and there's sports, and there's music, and there's comfort, and there's things that you value, hobbies, and so on. You know, it's, it's kind of an exciting time in the NHL, because we're just finishing the season, and it's like the playoffs start this week. Well, that's, you know, you might hear me refer to that once or twice, if the Sharks manage to get past Anaheim in the first round of the playoffs. It started falling apart in the last six games, but we 'll talk about that here, but you see my point is that this like there 's more to life i, I don 't just talk about Jesus all the time, um, although Jesus does prefer hockey to anything else, but my, my question is this what 's the foundation of your life right Is Jesus the foundation, or is it money or is it success or, or is it sports or is it your hobbies or whatever and that 's the question, I'm not talking just what you claim is your foundation. Oh, yes, you know, God's number one in our life. You know, what you value is your foundation, right? You can't say God is most important, but then, you, you know, you make everything to do with following Jesus kind of one option among many. Right? You, you know that children will pick up very quickly, and grandchildren, I'm speaking to the various generations today, they pick up on our values very quickly, for better, for worse. Um, you know, we'd say it's more caught than it's taught. You can say this, but if you're living like this, they know that this is what's true. This is what's valuable to you. And, you know, I'm amazed. I have two sons and I, I'm amazed at, at what they've observed about my life and my values. Some of it good, some of it not so good. And, and, you know, we've had some of those conversations about, well, you said this, but you did this. Like, ah, oh. you know, and that's hard. That's hard to hear that. But the reality is, you know, our our foundation becomes very obvious to our to our children, so if we 're going to raise great kids or great grandkids or nieces or nephews, think of it this way you need to make you need to make Jesus at home in your home make Jesus at home in your home it, it needs to be like Jesus would be comfortable there right so things like praying at meals have, have say table grace take turns doing that so you're Children learn to pray out loud in front of other people uh, read bible stories to the to the little ones and the young people at, at bedtime take take in a Christian movie sometimes those can be a little hit and miss, but more and more Christian movies are are generally getting better and better right or invest in some jesus focused media we we have a guy named dave Stotz. he does his series called drive through history and got a bunch of his Videos because they're interesting, but they're super informative, super educational, and they're funny. And uh, we'll watch them sometimes as a family. We've learned stuff about Turkey and Greece and Israel and, and American history and so on. So we we really we find ways to to invest in ways that say Jesus is at home in our home. Now every suburban house like like the house I live in is built in a neighborhood, right? So uh, we would might call it a village, and the same is true of the household of your life. And you know the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. So then the follow-up question is, well, in which village are you building? Right? And if you're taking notes, you want to write this one down. Build in the right village. If we're going to raise great kids, we've got to build in the right village. You may have noticed that the village around some of your children isn't that great these days, right? Right? Some people say, I've seen the village. I don't want to be there. I'm not talking about creating a Christian bubble now. I'm not talking about you know being completely exclusive and no, we're we're in the world. We 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 live on a day-to-day basis with all the people around us. But this is where the life of the church community can be very, very important to you. And everyone at any age is a part of this. Not not just those of you who are actively raising children right now. If your children are grown, you don't stop, you know, praying for them and influencing them. Uh, if you've been blessed with grandkids, well, the prayers just carry on all the more, don't they? Uh, if you've been, um, you know, blessed that that, that your children are, are growing, your parenting doesn't stop just because they're adults. They still need you and they need your support and your encouragement and your prayers and their advi- your advice if they ask for it, I'm learning. And um, they, they might want your money. Um, careful in on that one, right? Uh, but your influence in life stays connected with them. So to do this, I just want to look at the, the childhood of Jesus. How Jesus' parents raised him. So Jesus, the son of God, was born to the Virgin Mary. Mary's husband was named Joseph. So Jesus' earthly parents are Joseph and Mary. Joseph's the Carpenter, uh, and, and they live in a place called Nazareth, which is quite away from Jerusalem. And I want to read to you an example of how Jesus' parents were raising him in the right village, so to speak. So I'm in Luke chapter 2, and it's picking up at verse 41. We've, Luke has just given us the whole story of the birth of Jesus, his dedication to the temple, and, and we've been told that he's growing up there in Nazareth. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41, Picks it up like this. It says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Any of you kids ever ditch your parents when you're, they were going somewhere? I don't know. Jesus did. His parents didn't miss him at first. I just find this one of the most comforting lines in Scripture. Oh, isn't it nice and quiet? Oh, it's just so great. And then um and I I don't know have any any of you ever lost your kids or left them behind? Yeah. Happened to us. I'd forgotten about this. My children reminded me of this morning. We lost them in Hong Kong when they were seven and nine years old. So a little scary. I'll tell you about that some other time. After they've recovered from the trauma. Right. But there was a reason why they didn't miss him at first, verse 44, because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. They are good parents, verse 45. And when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among their religious teachers, listening to him and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere, right? But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. In in favor with all people. Incredible story. Just fantastic story. What's happening there? Well, Jesus' parents had built into their life a, a, a rhythm, right? A faithful observance of spiritual habits. This was quite a way away from Jerusalem and Nazareth. We're quite a ways apart. It's a commitment to say, okay, it's a time of year. We're going down to Jerusalem. Okay, pack up, you know, donkey. And let's go. Uh, they no doubt would have gone to the synagogue week by week. At least Joseph uh, Joseph would have. Um, uh, you know, it was this kind of ongoing, um, you know, habit. They would have observed the Sabbath, uh, which was important. They would have maintained other regulations of a faithful Jewish home. I, I just want to take a moment to just promo an event that we're going to host here in a, in a few weeks. Here at Bethany, we've got a, a gal coming. She's uh, She's an Orthodox Jew, and she's going to be speaking here on... Uh, uh, Old Testament, what we would call Old Testament, or, or uh, Hebrew scriptural roots, Old Testament backgrounds, helping us understand kind of really what it was like in the day. Uh, she's uh, currently involved with current events. Right now, she's a very engaging, uh, interesting speaker. Her name's Sandra Barris, and she'll be here uh, Thursday, May 3rd. It would love if you can uh, be a part of that. It'll be a really interesting evening if you want to get a sense of what was it really like in the Bible times. She's got a good grasp of that. So, so consider coming to that May 3rd. But in so doing, you know, as Jesus' parents are have this rhythm, spiritual rhythm of their life, in so doing, um, Jesus was growing up around other people of faith, of their faith, of various ages and various occupations. They were kind of living in the, in the kind of life of their faith. I want to show you a couple of, of uh, pictures here. This is a picture of our a group from our church that went to Israel last November. If you look carefully, you might see the backs of uh, heads of a few of our members, church members. But this is um, facing the Western Wall, which is essentially a massive retaining wall that holds what we call the Temple Mount, the area where the temple was built at that time. That was there when Jesus walked the earth. I mean, Jesus was there, right? And this is, so I just wanted to give you a kind of a sense of, what it was like for him, and, and uh, they would have gone there year after year uh, to the temple. Um, let me go to one more picture. This is kind of an overlook of the city of Jerusalem. Of course, none of that was there at Jesus' time. It's all been rebuilt in the centuries since. That big gold thing is called the Dome of the Rock. It's it's uh, it's on the Temple Mount. It's where the temple ought to be, but it's uh, it's the Muslim place. Look, the hillside going up the other way, that's the Mount of Olives. That kind of white patch off to the right, that's a cemetery on the Mount of Olives. At the base of that, in between, is the Kidron Valley. And at the base of that Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed on the night he was betrayed and arrested. So, I just want to kind of give you that sense of, yeah, they they went to these places. They, They were raising Jesus in the right village. And, you know, it takes intentionality to do this to raise children like this. Some of you, you know, make the investment of getting your kids or your grandkids to camp every summer or or you get them on a missions trip every year. Or some of you make sure you're here in church every week. Or, you know, when I was a kid, my in my youth particularly, my parents got us to a family camp every summer and I didn't realize at the time. But that really is formative for me in my spiritual life. Something I wish I'd kind of thought to do with my own sons. If If you aren't... Even, you know, if you're not actively raising children now in your own life, you're still in the village here. You're part of the village, right? And that includes things like, you know, nursery. we got people who, who maintain our nursery in Sunday school, and, and Awana, and our kids' summer blast, and, and our youth group, and Mommy and Me. And, you know, I've watched some of you as you serve in those places. To I me, mean, you're well past raising your own kids, but you're investing the lives of the children that we have here, right? You are part of the village that's raising these children. It's the right village. And so whether you're, you know, a grand, grandparent or parent, you're single, you're married, you're older or younger, you have a part to play in this village. And and really, practically speaking for you who have, have children, make it your priority to get them to the village. Not that you have to attend every program. You know, a one is not going to work ...for everyone. Youth group is not going to be a one-size-fits-all... ...for everyone. That's okay. But there are, there are ways and places you can be consistent with something. Don't make the church community just a nice option... ...if there's you know nothing better going on. And if you're not raising your own kids... ...just help us keep the village alive and well. Help us keep it going. Find a place to serve as so many of you do... ...whether it's with your own kids or, or maybe it's not. it has nothing to do with... ...children and families... You know, we have a team of people who are every Saturday morning. They, they made it possible for you to approach the grounds on nicely manicured lawns, nicely clean sidewalks. The, fly, the weeds are picked out of the flower beds are called sod squad. We've got other people who made coffee for you this morning. There's people who made it possible for you just to walk in and sit down and enjoy a morning service. It had nothing to do with children and families. It's awesome. That's all part of maintaining the village. All part of keeping that going. You can also pray. Um, I invite you to join a, sm- a small group of us that pray on Thursday mornings. It's our-, our church prayer meeting, and every Thursday morning in the library we pray for the. I, I know it's a daytime, but for those of you who are uh, maybe retired or um, have shift work or so on, join us for prayer. We pray for the church. We pray for the different ministries of the church. We pray for our friends. We want to make it a village worth building in for families of all kinds. All right. So we've talked about the foundation. We talked about where to build. I have one more thought for you after you got got those things in place. Your house is going to need maintenance. In Ephesians chapter 6, the first uh, four verses gives us a really good example of family relationship success. Let me read this to you from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Uh, I think the New International Version says, do not exasperate your children. Right? Great word. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Children obey. Dads, don't exasperate, but train them. We'd say it this way, and I'll explain in a moment what I mean by this, but keep the house maintained with connection. Keep the house maintained with connection. See, I live in a house that's only uh, 10 or 11 years old, but it it needs maintenance already, right? And I, the way I keep my house maintained is I stay connected to it. I, I, I watch for burned-out light bulbs. I, I, I make a note of when to uh, change the air filters. I, I watch for leaky toilets. Um, you know, loose door hinges, whatever it takes. Uh, my wife really appreciates that I keep an eye on those things. We, in our house, we call those blue chores. So I do the blue chores in our house. And, you know, I, I love doing that stuff, but I, I have to stay connected to my house to be aware of what's happening and what's going on. Well, what does Ephesians chapter 6 have to do with connection? It describes... The workings of a well-connected parent and child relationship, because in fact, Johnny, do you mind going back to that slide one more time? Ephesians chapter, the scripture passage. Um, So we're talking here about children who are obeying their parents and honoring their parents, right? And there's there's a godly reward for that, and and parents, dads in particular, who treat their children in a way that's respectful to them and doesn't exasperate them or drive them to anger. Um, a child will usually obey a parent who is compassionate and respectful. And a respectful parent tends to elicit obedience from the children. Now, we're all human, and we are in our household too, and we all tend to want to do things our own way. And, and it, every normal child or youth is going to push back ...on parents and push against boundaries. That's more or less normal. But here's the thing. Dads can push just as hard. Sometimes we push the boundaries back too far. And so we've got this kind of tension sometimes between parents. And that's the warning in this passage. So whether or not the children obey... ...the parents are still to be considerate or respectful to their children. Not exasperating them. And this... I'll just say this verse speaks to me loudly because... You know, I'm a dad who's been guilty of exasperating my kids at times, pushing my sons. Uh, and I haven't always known how to respect them in the parenting process. But what I've been learning, and probably what I wish I would grasped maybe 15 years earlier than I did, is that our job as parents, including, when I say parents, I'm including dads and moms and grandparents and aunts and uncles and Sunday school teachers, and, and you know, however far you want to extend that, even school teachers... Our task is to create healthy, you know, affirming, life-giving connections with children and youth. And I don't mean codependency. That's really unhealthy. Uh, Parents are parents. They're not buddies to their kids. I think it's, it's potentially really unhelpful when parents say, Oh, my child is my best friend. Well, not when they're little. You're the parent. And same with grandparents. You're not the, you're not their buddy. Although you get to be a lot closer to that than the parents are, but you are the loving, praying, hopefully fun, ice cream serving, mentor, right? There should be, be privileged about going to grandma, grandma, grandma's place. You don't get at home. I, all that's great, but you're not the buddy. You're a you're a mentor and a, a loving, praying mentor for them. So connection means that children really comes down to this: children and parents see each other as humans. They see each other as real people, and. Forgive me if this just gets into a relationship seminar here for a minute, but this is pretty helpful stuff if we can grasp it. And in spite of the fact that we see each other as people, one still has authority over the other. So the parent still has authority over the child, right? And I thought wrongly, I thought for many years, that the parent's um, job is just to exact compliance out of the child. Just get them to obey no matter what. No questions asked. Whatever it takes, you get them to obey, bottom line, And that's how it goes. But here's what I've discovered. That if a child only complies with dad or mom's demands, um, they may throw off all restraint when they have some greater freedom in their life, when they're out on their own. And now you've got a real problem on your hands. So what's the goal then? The goal is to raise healthy, thoughtful, godly, well-connected children who will become wise, compassionate, self-directing adults. And so children and adolescents, forgive me, um, younger people, when I say this, because it might be a little bit offensive when I say this, but you, uh, children and adolescents don't necessarily have all the um, life experience and wisdom required yet to make all those big life decisions. They still need guidance and input and help in their lives, right? And they need to listen to their parents and obey. But obedience... Happens best when they know that they're loved and have respect from their parent or parents. And so, a connected relationship is when both sides can really express what they need from each other. Um, There's a couple of books by the same author that have been immensely helpful to me personally. I want to just show you those on the screen. One's called Keep Your Love On. It's all about, really about relationships and creating healthy connections. And, uh, and, and just be learning to be powerful enough to be able to express your needs in your relationship. I highly recommend that one. The one on the right is called Loving Our Kids on Purpose, and this is about how do we create those great connections with our children um, that are helpful to them, but you are still the parent. And so those those are great resources, and you can ask me more about them. I would loan them out, but I have loaned them out already, and I looked for them on my shelf this morning, and they are gone. So I will get new ones, but, um, and if you borrowed it from me, maybe you can get it back. That will be nice. Uh, look, the best thing a parent can do is pursue a relationship connection that says, I respect you as a human, even though it's my duty to apply guidance and direction to your life. Okay? I respect you, but it's my duty to, to steer your life. And the best thing a young, a child or young adult or a youth can do is to pursue a relationship connection with a parent that says, I feel heard and I, I can see you're concerned about my well-being and therefore I will trust your guidance and direction or correction or discipline or help in my life. When we get that two-way relationship right, it still acknowledges the parent is responsible for the child The child will obey because they're getting cared for and respected by the parent. And our pursuit then is connection that steers adequately, not just compliance so the child does whatever is commanded. Well, listen, you got to remember that in all this discussion, everyone in the equation is human. Everyone's human. We all want our own will. We all want our own way. And so we're all going to kind of push in certain ways. And here's what's kind of reassuring to me, just as we sang about the grace of God, just as we sang about you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am. Um, God loves you and me enough for us to make our own decisions, good, bad, or otherwise. That's how much he loves you. To let you go your own way. And God even loves, those of you who are parents actively raising young children, God loves your kids more than you ever could. Isn't that amazing? God loves your kids even more than you do, as much as you love them. God loves them more. That's good news. And He, He, He wants to guide and direct them as well. And, um, but He's also going to let them make good and bad choices. And I've yet to meet a perfect parent. I certainly am far from, uh, far from that. Trust me. But, um, and I, mean, I guess that helps me not blame Parents, if a child is pushing away or a child or grandchild's in rebellion, I don't blame a parent or grandparent because, hey, we all get to make our own choices. And some of you, if you're at a place of like, you don't talk to your parents anymore, or you've pushed back against them, you rebelled them, or you have bitterness in your heart toward them, whatever, I want you to know they're not, your parents aren't perfect, and it's on you to figure it out how to forgive, how to release, how to let that go. And get your relationship right with Him as much as it's safe to do so. Okay? Um, and it's hard. It's hard when we have to let people go their own way. But I think it's just the amazing goodness of God that He He loves us so much, even though we push back and though we rebel. Rebellion, it's like we, we call it sin. And, and Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, that God showed His love this way, that while... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not, while we were sinners, God made the promise that if you get your life together, Jesus will die for you. That, that's how I would have done it, right? You clean up your room, then you can have the ice cream, right? Some people have said, I think God was like codependent father or something. I don't, I don't know how you want to describe that. But while, they were, while we were still in our sin, in our case, long before we were born, Jesus died for us. And that is a good father. And he invites us into a relationship with him based on his great love for us, not on our great ability, not on our own righteousness, not on how, how many awards we get in school or how many, you know, gold stars we get from our mom and dad. It's while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he invites us into a relationship with him in that way. And so, it's like this. If you talk about a relationship of connection, God says, I want to have a relationship connection with you. And here's the part, here's how far I can go. I can go all the way to the point of giving you my son, Jesus, who's going to die, die for your sin in your place. That's, as, that's what I can do. And it's up to us then to come the other way and say, Jesus, I trust you. I receive what you've done for me. That's how that works. And so God doesn't say, oh, I'll automatically, you know, against your will make you my child. No, he doesn't do that. He loves you too much to do that. But he says, and we do the same thing. Here's what I'm, you can do this with anybody. Here's what I'm, here's how much I'm willing to do to have a good relationship with you. You did, you, those of you who are married, you did that with your spouse. You stood at the altar and you you said these vows. Here's what I'm willing to do to have a, a lifelong relationship with you. I promise this and this and this and this, right? And you didn't say, and I'm going to force you to do the same thing for me. You can't. You say, I promise this, this and this. And the other one says, yeah, I promise those same things. Okay, now we meet in the middle and we have a connection together. For life. That, that's that's how that how that works. And God does the same thing. Here's what I can do. Will you respond back to him? Will you? Will you? Will you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Forgive your sin and make you right with the Father? I can talk with you more about that um, after the service, if you'd like. But that's what we say. is That's the good news. That's the gospel message that Jesus loves you, died for your sin, rose again. And it's your choice whether or not to put your trust in him. Well, if we're going to raise great kids in our home, in our extended families, in our church, right, in our village, three things. Got to have a foundation worth building on, build in the right village, and, and maintain through good connection. Let's pray together. God, we're really uh, grateful that you are our Heavenly Father, our good Father, and you love us more than we'll ever grasp. You love us certainly beyond what we ever deserve. And we're thankful for that. And I thank you for the good things you do in our lives. And and for those times we've rebelled and, and pushed away from you, God, would you forgive us? We just say we want to come back in submission to you like, like great kids uh, submitted to you. You know you have our best interest at heart. And I just pray that as we hand into this week, God, that you'd be stirring up in each of us how to have those healthy, uh, respectful, uh, honoring relationships in our families, and even with one another, Lord, they, we will grasp how we can be a part of, of creating a great village to raise great kids. Uh, whether it's here at church or in our schools, our homes, our neighborhoods. Lord, we want to be a part of all that. We want you to be honored in all these things. We give you our praise in Jesus' name. Amen.